contented in what he has would not be content in what he would like to have. Can I say that again? That's a truth that if we would grasp, listen to that very carefully, young people, he that would not be content in what he has will not be content if he gets what he wants to have. Uh, contentment is a, is a uh, heart issue. It is not a circumstantial issue. So contentment is found only when we look to God for our sufficiency. It's only found when we see that he is all that we need. So we're in Hebrews chapter 13. I'm reading two verses here to start with. Look at some others as we go through. Hebrews 13, verse number 5. Let your conversation be without covetousness. and Be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave you, or thee, nor forsake thee. So that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. And I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Father, I pray you help us tonight as we talk about contentment. Each and every one of us need to have it. And I would, I would uh, venture to say that most of us struggle with it, at least at times. I pray that you would help us to shore those things up in our life tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. It's important to have a quality foundation if we want to have a good building. I learned that as I've helped and seen with uh, working with different building projects now. If you want to have a nice building, you need to have a good foundation. Like one dad said to his little son, he said, I don't care if we do have a crack in the basement. Stop telling people we come from a broken home. Uh, but the truth is, we get enough cracks in the basement, there will be a problem. Just as a crack in the foundation of a house can affect the whole house, so cracks in our foundation, the foundation of our character, can affect every area of our life. And in this message, I want to look at a destroyer of a good foundation, and that is a lack of contentment. If we are not content, it will destroy the foundation of our Christian life. There are very few content people in the world today. Very few. People complain about the weather. I mean, that's kind of convicting because I've done that on occasion. I walked into a place, uh, uh, was it? A couple of weeks ago, it was one of the. We had a couple of nice days and then a couple of really nasty days. In the middle of that nasty time, I walked into a business here in town, and uh, the first thing they said, "You're a preacher. You should do something about this weather." And uh, I said, I told them what I always say: I'm in sales, not management. All right, I can't do anything about it. I'm only in sales. But uh, people complain about the weather. People complain about their spouse. People complain about child their children. Children complain about their parents. People complain about politics. All right, the last one's legitimate, but uh, we shouldn't be complaining. Every can, can, I, can I tell you a fact? I didn't realize this until I, I read this, and I've really been thinking on this throughout the day today. Every time we breathe in, you've been breathing ever since you've been here, every time you breathe in, someone in the world breathes their last. We ought to be content, amen? A lot of people have it worse than us. And uh, every time, you can just remember that, all night tonight, all day tomorrow, for the rest of your life, every time you breathe in, somebody dies in this world. And so there's no end to what we could find to complain about uh, when we have a problem with contentment. We can complain about everything. Uh, we are searching in our lives for contentment. Uh, we do so naturally. We want to find contentment. But in the process, the process of developing contentment uh, demands a discipline that many of us are not willing to cultivate. 
We can find it, but we, like Paul, have to say, I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. And so it takes a discipline to get there. Now, the world is looking for it their whole life. Uh, many of them never find it, and they die never having been content with anything they've had. Well, we can truly become content if we allow God uh, to be what we need in our life. That's why contentment has been referred to as a rare jewel, because so very few people find it. Discontentment plagues our society today. It is a me-first mindset that is sending our society to collapse. Perversion, violence, political scandal, family breakups are all symptoms of an obsession with self. And all the time we have industries like the advertising industry that is uh, sprouting in us the fertile uh, soil of self-centeredness and always telling us we need more, we need the next big thing to be content. Marriages are ruined because the husband becomes discontented with his wife or the wife with her husband. Some people are constantly moving, constantly changing jobs, uh, constantly relocating because there's a discontent in their spirit. And uh, so we need to learn, as a Christian, to be content with what we have. Uh, these people live with the constant jealousy and unhappiness because they have not found contentment in the Lord. For the Christian, discontentment is a destructive thing for your spiritual walk. Many times it's an attitude that's not seen on the surface, but it is growing in our hearts. And our text that we read tonight gives us three ways to build contentment in our lives. And we'll look at them uh, this evening, and I think they'll be a help to us. Number one, build contentment by rejecting covetousness. Covetousness. The Bible says here, let your conversation be without covetousness. I read this story written by Bob James. Recently, he said, I laid a small circle of poison around a hill of stinging ants in my yard. Think, uh, thinking that the tiny granules of poison were food, the ants began to pick them up and carry them home. I returned later to see how well the poison was working. Hundreds of the stinging ants were carrying the poison down into their hole. Then I noticed a hole in the circle of the poison I had laid out. Some of the poison was moving the opposite way, away from the hill. Some smaller, non-stinging ants had found this food, and they were taking it from their neighbors. They, thinking they were getting another ant's treasure, they were unwittingly poisoning themselves. When we see someone with more than we have, we better be aware that our desire to beg, borrow, or steal what somebody else has might be poisoning us spiritually. Discontentment. Covetousness comes so easy. Uh, we, we have it often in our life without even realizing it. Even when we do notice it, we have a tendency to excuse it in our lives. But God commands that we reject covetousness. He tells us here, let your conversation be without covetousness. And uh, it is really, these, you know, it's the 10th commandment, not, not to covet. And uh, it is one of the sins that people do not admit to. In fact, I years ago preached a message and on uh, the sin nobody admits to. I did a series on the Ten Commandments for teenagers and that's what I entitled the last one, the sin that nobody admits to. Nobody has ever walked into in my office and said, you know, I've got to confess something. I am covetous. We just don't really admit it. We don't admit it out loud. We don't often even admit it to ourselves, but it can be a real problem in our Christian life. 
It can be a problem in our lifestyles. Let your conversation, conversation in the Bible is not talking only about a conversation like we would call it, but our lifestyle, our living. Let it be without covetousness. Uh, the marketing mentality today tells us that we are not successful unless we have the earthly goods to prove it. The media blitz that bombards us every day creates in us a discontentment if we're not careful. It'll program us into thinking that there's no happiness without more things. Uh, the new the new iPhones. You know, what do they come by every three months, four months, four days? What is it? The new iPhones come out. And you think, man, I got the newest one finally. And on your way home, you hear an advertisement for the next one, you know. Uh, constantly having the next one. A covetous life is never satisfied. It's always seeking more. It always wants the next thing. Benjamin Franklin said this, discontentment makes rich men poor, while contentment makes poor men rich. Isn't that something? A survey by the U.S. News and World Report asked people this question. How much money would you need to fulfill the American dream? I found the answer interesting. Most people indicated they would need about twice, not without realizing it, they would name a figure, but most people named a figure that was about twice of what they had. Not a million dollars, not a billion dollars, just about twice what they had. Because our mentality always tells us, I just need a little more. Just a little more and I'll be happy. I don't need the world, I just need a little more. Martin Luther said, I have held many things in my hands and I have lost them all. But whatever I have placed in God's hands, that I still possess. We need to realize what's important and be content with what we have. I heard a story about a pilot who flew a normal route uh, back and forth and it, it was uh, over a certain valley in the Appalachians that he uh, regularly flew over and his co-pilot noticed that when they crossed a certain spot he always gazed down at this little creek and that was going through one of the valleys there and, and uh, finally asked him one day what is so interesting at that spot that you always have to stare down at it and he said well he points out you see that little stream that's running down there when I was a kid I used to sit down there and uh, with a, on a log there, and I would be fishing. And every time I heard a plane go overhead, I would dream about one day flying up in that plane. And he said, now I'm flying in a plane dreaming about sitting down there on a log fishing. You know, contentment, we're easily discontented, aren't we? We want what we don't have, and it's such a natural thing for us, whether it's our appearance, whether it's our career, our friends, our opportunities, the examples could go on forever. But if we're honest with ourselves, there's some, often there's things that nag at us and they plague us with a discontented spirit, discontentment. The devil has someone somehow convinced us that if we have another person's stuff, we'll be satisfied. We even have a term for it, keeping up with the Joneses. You know what would happen if you'd keep up with the Joneses? You'd have the same problems the Joneses have you'd have the same discontentment the Joneses have. All right? they, they're discontented just like you are. And uh, so keeping up, that's not going to bring happiness. Satan always maximizes what we don't have, minimizes what we do have. And so he's constantly making us unhappy. It is simply not true that more stuff will make you happy. That just is not true. God wants you to be content with him alone. Learn to say no to the good so you can say yes to the best. We need to realize that Jesus Christ is really all we need and then we can be content. Things will never 
bring you happiness. Money will never bring you happiness. Martha Washington said this, the greater part of our happiness or misery depends on our dispositions, not our circumstances. In other words, our attitude is what determines our happiness. Everything we have, possessions, opportunities, relationships, it's fleeting. It can be taken away any moment. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in, certain, in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. I love in our text here when he says, and be content with such things as you have. And then he tells us why we are to be content with what you have. Hey, you have only have the iPhone 6? Be content with it. Why? Because, he says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. That means you can be content with little because you have Him. That's what he's saying. You can be content with not much in your life because I'll never leave you nor forsake you. That's a great promise. And when he says here in 1 Timothy 6.17, don't trust uncertain riches, but in a living God. In other words, uh, riches are uncertain. God is certain. He's a certainty. He'll always be there for us. Proverbs 23.5, Wilt thou set thine eyes upon the th that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away as an eagle toward heaven. I don't know if your riches ever done that. I have had not big riches, but I've had money that's done that. In fact, somebody said money talks. Mine says goodbye most of the time. Uh, riches find wings and they fly away. Uh, the Bible tells us that we understand this because it's happened to all of us. This is why we must must learn to find our satisfaction in God alone. Contentment is an inward thing. Contentment begins in the heart. It's not a matter of possessions. It's a matter of the heart. A contented Christian can, re can rest knowing that God is sovereign. He is in control. Many Christians today so strongly desire the world. Listen to me now. They step outside of the will of God to chase after it. The Bible tells us that if we love the world, the love of the Father is not in us. We can't love the world and God at the same time. The end result is found in 1 Timothy 6.9, but they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil. I said the love of money is the root of all evil. Not money, but the love of money. While some coveted after have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. It's not a very good picture. But sometimes this plays out in our career choice. You take a job that pays a little more, but it keeps you out of church. Or it takes you away from your family and your responsibilities. Sometimes this plays out in the determination to be rich, and no matter what the cost is. The cost for someone who is willing to step outside the will of God uh, for riches is high. And it tells us that in those verses. Pierced through with many sorrows. Let's never sacrifice what is right to try to fill our discontentment, which can never be filled without Him in the first place. I like the, I think it's in Song of Solomon where it talks about that person that's gathering. I always get chuckle when I see that picture of putting, putting riches into a bag with a hole at the bottom. I always get the, it, it, look, it sounds like a fireside cartoon when I read that verse. A guy, I just get a picture of a guy that's going around collecting things and he's got a hole in the bottom of his bag. It's falling out as fast as he's putting it in. That's what it is like trying to fill our discontentment with worldly things that will never, ever can make us content. Jesus reminded his disciples that our lives are not the sum total of what we possess. So we shouldn't chase after possessions thinking that'll bring a happiness or contentment in our lives. Luke 12, 15. 
And he, Jesus said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. Possesseth. It's a hard word to say. When our lives revolve around our possessions, it reveals a, a, a bad, a bad uh, seeking after of our heart if we're focused on our possessions. That's why God commands us to reject covetousness. Reject it. That was number one. To build contentment by rejecting covetousness. And then, build contentment by remaining content. That's a pretty easy one. Look what the Bible says here. And be content with such things as you have. That may sound a little too simple. To be content. How do you build contentment? Be content. It's uh, something we just need to focus on. Because it's simple. It's a choice. We need to be content. To be content means to be possessed of unfailing strength. To be satisfied. God wants us to find our contentment, our gratitude in Him. What He has given us, what He has done for us. He desires that we would be overwhelmed with by His gift of salvation, for one. In fact, the Bible tells us if we have nothing else to be thankful for. We can be thankful for the fact that our, our names are written down in heaven. Amen? We can be thankful for our salvation. Uh, thankful for what He has done. We see the Apostle Paul suffered many hardships as he preached the gospel, yet he learned what it meant to be content with whatever God provided at that moment. And Paul had times of riches, he had times of poverty, he had times of fame, and he had times of imprisonment. He, had, he, had, he suffered shipwreck, and uh, he was sometimes lauded and sometimes beaten in prison. And this is what he said in Philippians 4.1. Therefore, my beloved, or my brethren, dearly beloved and long for my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. He learned what it meant to be content with whatever God provided, and he put his, his focus and his joy didn't come from stuff. It came from the fact of what he was doing for the Lord Jesus Christ, and it came from the Lord. Our discontent often shows itself in our lives in different ways. Credit card debt, uh, constantly buying the next new thing, uh, trying to fill that hole. People charging their way into what they believe will bring them happiness. Buying things they don't need with money they don't have to impress friends they don't even like. Uh, trying to have contentment. In the long run, it only brings bondage. God challenges us to be content with what He has already given us. We miss out on such great opportunities in our life because we're discontent, discontented in our life. There are two good reasons why a Christian should always be content. Number one, because God has provided in the past. God has provided. Look back over your life and just reflect about how God has always provided for you. We sometimes don't see it looking forward, but looking back we can always see, I mean, uh, not meaning to offend anybody, but it doesn't look like anybody's starving in here. Amen? It uh, looks like we've been pretty well fed and we are all, as far as I know, we're all uh, going to a place where we have a roof over our head, we're able to be provided for. Uh, God has provided for us. Psalm 37, 5. I have been young and now I am old. Yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. Did you know if you make over $35,000 a year, you're in the richest 1% in the world? And many of us make over that. Uh, globally, the medium salary is just $1,200 a year worldwide. That's the medium, uh, that's the average salary in the world is only $1,200 a year. We are a blessed people. We're a rich people. 
we, we have so much. And God does take care of us. He does provide. Don't let worry rob you from your contentment. Contentment is not based on how much you have. Contentment is based on what you put your faith and trust in and your desires. We would worry less if we praised more. Thanksgiving is the enemy of discontentment. If you're thankful for what you have, you'll be less discontented. God has always provided for our needs. Not only has He provided in the past, He promises He'll provide in the future. Our text says, For He has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. The greatest provision that God could give us is His presence. That's exactly what He does give us. In fact, He promises He'll never leave us. If we learn to be content with Jesus, uh, if we learn to put our contentment in God, we'll experience the peace and joy of this promise. America is a nation of warriors. In fact, if you'll study it out, you'll find that we have probably as much or more discontentment in our country where we have so much that they do in many poor countries. 60% of drugs uh, that prescribe drugs are not prescribed to treat disease. They're prescribed to treat people's emotions. 60% in our nation today. What would the mood of America be without Prozac? Maybe we wouldn't want to know. But as the stock market flows, so does society's security and peace. And that's not to say that we shouldn't pay attention to those things. We ought to make wise investments. We ought to look forward to the future. I'm not saying that you don't do wise things. You should do that. But our peace of mind should not fluctuate with our finances. should not fluctuate if we have new things or old things. We need to always keep at the forefront of our thoughts that we have a God in heaven who loves us and He'll never leave us nor forsake us and He's in control. He has promised to provide for us as we seek Him first. Matthew chapter 6. In fact, turn there if you would. Matthew chapter 6. This is such a good passage and we're very familiar with it and yet I believe it would do us well if we read this once a month in our, uh, in our Bible reading. Put it in your repertoire to uh, read it every so often. Matthew chapter 6. Verse number 30. Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall He not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Wherefore, take no thought, saying, What shall ye eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth what ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Now, to, just to clarify, when it says take no thought, it does not mean quit your job, you know, spend all your money, don't worry about tomorrow. It, it's it means don't worry. It's, that's the context here. Don't worry. Don't fret. Don't worry about something you can't control. And our number one concern does not need to be a bank account. Our number one concern should be to seek ye first His righteousness, His kingdom. That's what we ought to seek first. Our minds ought to be consumed with the thought every day, Lord, what do you want from me today? What can I do to serve you today? We can live with contentment because we have God's promises to provide for our future and God always keeps His promises, friend. First Corinthians, uh, First Kings 8.56 Blessed be the Lord that hath given rest unto His people Israel according to all that He promised and hath not failed one word of all His good promise. That verse was written thousands of years ago but I can tell you to this day and this moment He still has not failed in one of His promises 
and in 10 years from now, and in 100 years from now, uh, if you're still around and I'm still preaching, uh, he still will have failed none of his promises. That's my plan, by the way. Okay, But uh, he'll still not have failed one of his promises. Thirdly and lastly, build contentment by renewing confidence. God wants us to experience the confidence of being content in Him. He wants to be able to, uh, or for us to be able to boldly come to Him and claim His help. Can I remind you, according to John chapter 8, verse 44, that Satan is a liar and the father of liars? Let us not forget that. He is a bald-faced, stinking, no-good liar. That's what Satan is. And he constantly tries to lie to us. He generates doubts. He simulates guilt, uh, stimulates guilt in our lives. He, the Bible calls him the accuser of the brethren. He, is, uh, he does not want us to experience the forgiveness or confidence of God's presence in our lives. He wants us to live our lives with a defeated attitude. He would love for you to look at everybody else and what they have and for you to sit there and suck on your thumb and get angry and say, it's just not fair. Why do they have everything and I have nothing? And be discontent with everything in your life. He would love that because it makes you no use to God or yourself. He wants you to be discontented. But God wants us to know we belong to Him. He wants us to know and experience that greater is He that is in, the, in you than He that is in the world. We need to learn to build confidence and that confidence comes from our sufficiency of Christ because con- competence is a great creator of confidence. Let me explain what I mean by that. When we, when we try to trust in things that are not competent, then we're going, it's going to lead to worry. When we cannot trust in the competence of what we depend on, we worry. That's why we worry on our financial condition. That's why we worry about our jobs. That's why we worry about our future. We don't have the confidence in it. We don't know what's going to happen in the future. We don't know if, you know, I mean, my goodness, three months ago I bought a dozen eggs for like 95 cents. Now it's, what, eight bucks for a dozen eggs? Uh, we don't know if what, what's going to happen in the future. And so the lack of competence in that leads us to worry. But can I tell you, we serve an all-competent God. And He's promising us that uh, rem- I'm never going to leave you or forsake you. You can put your trust in Me. And so we can have complete confidence in Him. And that confidence in Him gives us contentment if we put our trust in Him. On the other hand, our fears and our worries reveal that our confidence is not in God. Because you're either going to pray and trust God, or you're going to worry. But you're not going to do both. Praying and worrying, uh, they don't co-mingle. They don't coexist. You're going to do one or the other. And worry is such a wasted, wasted effort. It's, it worries like sitting in a rocking chair. It'll give you something to do, but it never takes you anywhere. That's what worry does. It'll just waste your time. And uh, we need to not be filled. That's what Jesus says. Take no thought. Don't sit around worrying about what you can't control. Put your trust in Him. Now, back to our text. Verses 5 and 6 gives us two characteristics of God that ought to give us confidence in His sufficiency. Look at what it says in verse 5. For He has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Look at verse 6. So that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. We build contentment by... Remembering God's continual presence. By remembering that God's promises are not like our promises. Sometimes even when we intend to fulfill our promises, circumstances limit us and things change and we're not 
able to follow through like we thought we would. But God never fails to keep His promises. Uh, Charles Spurgeon said this, There is no Christian that ever outbelieves God because He never outpromises Himself. We can't outbelieve Him uh, because He always comes through. His promises are as good as His character. He, God is the one who cannot lie. His promises are sure. Titus 1, 2, In hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. God wants us to boldly rest in the contentment of knowing that He is always with us and that He'll care for us. The word boldly is to be confident, to be cheerful, and to be courageous. And yet, many Christians are fearful, gloomy, and fretful uh, instead of uh, being cheerful, confident, and courageous. Why is this? Because we forget God. We forget to put our confidence in Him. We forget that He is our helper. I like that word helper here. The Lord is my helper, verse 6. The word helper is uh, beathos, is the original word in Greek. And it's a compound word in the Greek. It means to cry out and to run. I like that. Two words put together there. God hears us and He helps us when we call. We need to cry out to Him and run to Him. I think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, how they discovered the presence of God. Daniel 3.25, He answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose, walking about in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Man, they must have been having a time in that fire, walking around, enjoying that fellowship. If Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego can have confidence in facing a fiery furnace, I think we can have confidence in facing tomorrow. Amen? Because we put our faith in the same Lord and the same God. We can face the big problems in this life because we can boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I can boldly cry out and run to Him uh, and He will take care of me. The Lord gave the same promise to Joshua. Joshua 1.9 Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. When we remember God's presence, we'll have great confidence and contentment. Secondly, remembering His power. Look what the Bible says here. The last part of verse 6. And I will not fear what man shall do unto me. We have no need to fear. God has not only promised His presence, but He has promised His power on our behalf. He tells us that wherever we are and whatever we need, we can simply cry out to Him for help. Psalm 61, verse 2, From the end of the earth will I cry unto Thee when my heart is overwhelmed. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I, for Thou hast been a shelter for me, a strong tower from the enemy. Every good gift in our lives comes from Him. Romans 8.32 He that spared not His own Son but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not give us all freely the good things? He's going to He's gives us His Son but He won't give us the things we need in our life? Of course He will. Take care of us like a good father will. What is He use that example of if, if a, a son asks his father for, for bread will he give him a stone? Uh, he, he of course will take care of us as uh, He has promised. He invites us to trust in His power and promise to take care of our needs. Psalm 37.1 Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity, for they soon shall be cut down like the grass, and wither is the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good, and thou shalt dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. We can have confidence in God. Amen. And that brings contentment. Contentment has to come from somewhere other than our circumstances. We need to be content in who we are and who we trust rather than what we have. Paul indicated that contentment is a learned trait. I read the verse a few minutes ago. I've learned in whatsoever state I am 
therewith to be content. It is something that he learned, as I've been talking about tonight. It's something we develop in our life. It doesn't just fall out of the sky. Have you ever seen a contented baby? Uh-uh. I've had eight of them. None of them were born content. None of them had contentment when they were toddlers. They didn't have contentment as young kids. They certainly didn't have contentment as teenagers. Uh, this is not something that naturally falls out of the sky. We need to build it. We need to develop it in us. And Paul was an older man by the time he wrote that. He actually called himself aged when he was like 58. I did the math the other day when he calls himself Paul the aged. Uh, he was like 58 years old, so he had a different way of looking at it uh, than maybe we do. But uh, but my point is it took him a while to learn this. I have learned whatever state I am, there with to be content. Uh, let me ask you, friend, are you building contentment in your life? This is how you do it. Uh, these are some steps that we can take even in the middle of a materialistic society that we live in. And man, do we live in a materialistic society. If you can't buy it, charge it. If you can't afford it, you can get it anyway. Even when experiencing uh, times of need in our life, we can have contentment. You and I can live in contentment if we remember the truth in this text here, the three things he gives us, reject covetousness. Don't look around at what other people have and get bitter because you don't have it. Reject covetousness. Uh, secondly, choose contentment. This is where you just simply decide, I'm going to be content with what I have. Uh, it's, my car isn't the newest car, but I'm going to be content. I don't have the nicest house in the world, but I'm going to be content. At least I have one. Amen? We can be content with it. And then thirdly, uh, renew confidence in God. Where you put your confidence is going to determine the amount of contentment you have in your life. Uh, don't put your confidence in stuff. Oh my goodness, that stuff will break down. It'll get stolen. It'll rust. It'll uh, thieves will steal. It'll be. It, it's so untrustworthy for us to put our confidence and our contentment in stuff. It'll fail us. Put your confidence and contentment in God. All right.